Thank you for joining us for this bonus episode of Really Cool People. Today we have the incredible opportunity of speaking with Alvin Law. Alvin is a man full of gratitude despite the challenges and difficulties he has faced. We have never met a more optimistic, upbeat person. Stay tuned as he shares his story of being born with no arms and how he has developed his talents despite this challenge. We know you are going to love his story. Hey there! I'm trying something new today that you won't know about, but I bought myself a pair of LED panel lights because I'm in my living room. I don't That's have good. any intention of doing a virtual background or a green screen, <laughs> you know, because honestly, I call that my shrine. <laughs> and I make fun of it, okay? A little bit, in a good way. But, you know, nice. there's some pretty cool stuff there, right? Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very proud of that wall, but I like having it as a natural background, right? And, I'm, and I think everybody knows, I can tell you are too, we're at home. Right? But, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what you have to do right now. I think that I, you're just really trying to show off for everybody. <laughs> hey, you know, to be honest with you, Wyatt, part of it is surprising people with how much I've achieved in my life, but not for my ego, right? Mm -hmm. uh, every time that I turn around and look at that wall, what I'm most proud of isn't easy to pick, right? So I could say, well, the Emmy is the most special thing. It's actually not. What's most special behind me there is the um, heart. It's a, for Variety Club. That's a, a charity that I work with. And uh, that's called the Gold Heart Award. And it's a very special award because it says to me, uh, I have dedicated myself to volunteering. To me, that's the balance. And we gotta have balance. So that's why I use the wall because part of me has been career driven. But as you get older, if you haven't figured this out yet, it becomes less about you and more about the bigger picture. And that's not to say that if it's all about you when you're young, that's wrong. I think that's actually why it needs to be about you when you're young. You got to focus on your own future, your own skills and whatever you want. But, you know, as we get older, we become a little more giving and philanthropic because I think we learn that life is full of all kinds of things. But just trying to be number one in business uh, kind of changes priorities over time. So anyway. Absolutely. Hey, well, that's great. Well, like I said, we really do appreciate having you here with us today. It's um, my pleasure. We would love just to hear a little bit about who you are and what, what do you call yourself? What's your professional title? So I love the question of what is my professional title? I actually have two sets of letters behind my name, which mean nothing to anybody in the world but me and the occasional meeting planner. And one of them is CSP, which is Certified Speaking Professional. And the second is HOF, which is Hall of Fame in Canada. So I'm in the Canadian Speakers Hall of Fame. I'm also in, uh, you can see my, uh, my, my picture up there. That's called the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. So I'm actually in two halls of fame, but my, I was joking with my wife, my wife the other day, probably my favorite is I'm on the wall of fame in my high school next to a hockey player named Jarrett Stoll, who played for the Dallas Stars, is married to Aaron Andrews, the broadcaster on Fox Football. And she, he's also from my hometown. So the two most famous people that came out of my town, one's an NHL and one never played hockey. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. You know, the coolest award I have is actually a pumpkin carving contest that I won um, back when I was like five or six years old. But I mean, it's huge. I, I rock it. I put it up on my wall. You know, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you two folks today. This is going to be great. And to be considered cool at 60 years old is, trust me, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just excited for this opportunity. 
Um, kind of to move on in the interview, what was the hardest part about growing up without arms? How did you overcome those challenges? I guess you never knew any different, but. Yeah, first of all, Addison, you're absolutely right with the last thing you said. Um, I never knew anything else. But as I grew older, I started to realize that I was born this way. So when you're born this way, and you know, here we are in COVID, we're all hearing this expression that I'm getting really tired of, the new normal. Um, <laughs> and I'm gonna ask the question, compared to what? Now I know what that is about with COVID because this is not normal, I agree. But that is kind of my point is I grew up being my own normal. So, you know, I use my feet, as you guys have already noticed, these are my hands, that's my <laughs> normal. Uh, and it seems impressive to people when they first see me, right? But in fact, that's the point is I overcame the stigma, you see? So there was no real learning curve that my mom could, you know, try to figure out from my joke that I was born in 1960. It's not like she could Google no arms, right? Uh, you know, Siri, what do we do? Uh, you know, so it's not like there was a lot of information. <laughs> so my mom's beauty in her skill and amazing story is really my story. Uh, and I'd love to talk about her, but I would say that that's where I learned that I am who I am. And this is who I uh, began um, my life as, but I'm gonna tell you a little quick anecdote. I don't wanna take over this interview, but this really helps to understand what I'm coming from. The stigma that I'm speaking about is not just the stigma of having no arms or having a so-called disability. You folks are too young to know about this. There was a drug called thalidomide. That's a big word, thalidomide. And it was a morning sickness medication that was given to pregnant women between 1958 and 1962, all over the world, except for the United States. The FDA was the only country in the world that did not approve this drug. And it was just by chance that it was a Canadian doctor, I live in Canada, and a female Canadian doctor on her first job at the FDA that turned this down because she smelt something funny. She goes, this just isn't right. This drug is not right. So that was banned, but by then it had already deformed over 20,000 babies around the world. But only a few were born in America, like about a dozen, because of clinical trials when they were trying to get licensed. But the point is, thalidomide itself was a terrible story. It got to be world famous. It was in all the publications and, of course, no internet. But it was the first, considered to be the first pharmaceutical scandal in, in modern history. So that was the stigma. Because everyone went, oh, you're one of those thalidomide victims. That's where the real change happened. Because I was never raised to be a victim. I was actually raised to be just Alvin. And I still am to this day. Did you ever have to deal with any kind of social problems as well? Was that hard for you? Or was it mostly just learning to overcome and not be a victim of the physical side of things? That's a great question, Wyatt. Uh, the, the, the quick answer is I was extremely fortunate. Um, and, and, and again, a little backstory, really important. I grew up in a small farming community in Western Canada called Yorkton, Saskatchewan, a very rural community. The town was maybe eight or 9,000 people. Therefore, I was known in the community. But the biggest part of the story is I was also adopted. My parents were well established in the community. In fact, my mother was extremely well known as having a wonderful foster home. That's how I came to live there. Because another part of my story, I'm not jumping off uh, the schedule here, folks, but I was also homeless when I was five days old. That's a real story. My birth family were not homeless people. They did not die. 
but I did not have a home when on the fifth day of my life, they signed papers to give me up. The reason they did that was another era thing. You know, again, you guys are young, but many of your listeners, if they're old at all, would remember there was a time when, let's just say, I'm going to just say it. If you were an unmarried teenager and you got pregnant, you were usually kicked out of your home and sent to a nunnery, right? That's just the way it was. Now we look at that and we go, we didn't do that. Yeah, we did a lot of things we shouldn't have done, but we learned, right? So now, you know, not, not, not saying that uh, having a baby when you're 16 years old is a great thing. It is what it is. But the reality is I was given up. So I was put into a foster home and my mom was 55 and my dad was 53 years old when I came to live with them as a newborn. Why that's important is for a lot of reasons. Two of the major ones was my mom's job was to take care of me as a foster child. So she had nothing personal, right? A lot of the moms who took the pills that deformed their babies uh, felt guilty. So they lived their life in a different way. My other part of this that was huge was they were older. So they were a little more refined, right? They didn't worry if I didn't look perfect. And I'm gonna be blunt about some things I already warned you today. Some people are more concerned about how expensive their baby carriage or stroller is than they were about being a good parent. You don't have to have a ton of money to be a successful parent. You just need to be there. You need to give time and dedication and love. And that's what I got nothing but infinite amounts of. The most common question I get in a lot of interviews is, was I bullied? And the fact of the matter is, sure. But who bullied me? Not everybody. Because I had developed a degree of confidence in myself. And I had degree, you know, I had a, I had a, a very strong backbone. And I didn't let people mess with me. But here's another one that I'm sure that a lot of your listeners can relate to. Adolescence is really not much fun. You know, when we transition from being little boys and little girls to young men and young women, that's really hard. And then if we also have other things that are messing with our identity, you know, gender identity, you know, let's, let's just say it. Um, you know, the, the whole idea of LGBTQ makes some people uncomfortable. I agree except I support LGBTQ, not because it's politically correct, but because my main reason for being is to be my authentic self. So because I grew up in the small town, I probably sound like I avoided your, neck, your previous question. The small town I lived in almost was self-monitoring. So if somebody picked on me, it didn't last very long because the word got out that they picked on me and it was taken care of, but never with violence. You know, they didn't drag these people up behind the school and beat them up, but it was like a social pressure. You can't make fun of Alvin. He's Jack and Hilda Law's son. You know that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So that was the benefit of small town. But to be honest with you one more time, my biggest problem with my own identity was, was the whole idea of relationships, right? I'm a heterosexual, so I wanted to date, but I could never get a girlfriend because they were always really uncomfortable with me. I had lots of friends who were girls. And again, that's very common in your generation, but it wasn't common in mine, right? So that was the hardest part. I mean, let's just show it, right? This is how I would hold somebody's hand. <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of takers when I was 15, 16 years old, right? So that made me mad. I thought I was ugly. But then I realized there's a lot of people that are physically unattractive, but you're attracted to them anyway. And we can't figure out why, you know, that really bad joke. Oh, she's nice. She's got a great personality. And then people say, is that code for fat? You know, <laughs> let's not be rude here. I know lots of people that are overweight, but 
The point is, I was lucky because I was surrounded by a community that cared about me. But when I got older, that was when things got a little tricky. It just took me a while to get through it, went to college, you know, then everything took care of itself. So I've been married now for a long time, actually 27 years officially. And uh, my wife's awesome. Yeah. In fact, what's really funny is when people see her, they kind of look at her and go, what were you attracted to with that guy? And my wife often jokes, well, it wasn't the biceps. Attitude can be very attractive, right? Positive attitude can be a very attractive, appealing thing. Yeah, absolutely. So as you were making this transition, when did you decide that drumming was what you want to do? Because obviously with no arms, that's not the most direct route, like the way of thinking, but somehow. So you've obviously been doing a little research on Alvin Law here. Uh, (laughs) I am a drummer and I'll show you that in a minute here, but that's another great story. See, I think what's really interesting is I know you people do interview other speakers and they always seem to have a great story. You know, everyone's got a great story, really. Yeah. If you think about it, you guys have a great story. But the fact of the matter is some people have stories that are more dramatic. They've overcome more obstacles or they've gone through very, you know, troubling or challenging times. That's an absolute reality. So for me, my story is great because all these components jump in that I would have never, ever expected. So a lot of it came to me versus me seeking it out. So when I was 10 years old, I wanted to take piano lessons because my best friend was taking piano lessons. I don't know if you can relate to this or not. And my best friend loved piano. So it just didn't occur to me. Why wouldn't I take piano lessons? See what I mean? I was like, I can play piano. Except the piano teacher said, no, you really can't. You know, look how short your toes are. And she was right. I had very short toes when I was 10. So her point was not, I'm going to be mean to a handicapped child. Her point was, look, it's hard enough to play the piano with fingers, let alone no arms. So that's what I bought and accepted. That was one person. Then this other person comes along, the polar opposite, who is the music director for this small town band programs across the city in the schools. We took a music aptitude test. I got 96% and they wanted me in the band until they had a chat with my mom and she told them I had no arms and then it kind of freaked them out. But the reality is the band director was one of these remarkable people that you meet in these interviews all the time. These people that do stuff that you can't believe they do. His name was Blaine McClary and he mounted a trombone on the side of a chair with metal rods and clamps that I played with my foot like this. So I played the trombone in school band because I was in school band it turns out meant talent, that 96% was not um, fake. I was really talented, perfect pitch, perfect rhythm. I just started getting into trombone and I had nothing else to do because nobody wanted to date me. <laughs> so I played my trombone for hours at a time, even went to band camp, got to band camp, started hanging out with other musicians who were also uncool because we were teenage musicians. And one night we were jamming and we just were fooling around and One guy said, I bet I could play that with my feet, joking around. And I said, I bet I can play your drums with my feet, joking around. Well, he sucked, but boy, I didn't realize I had a talent for drumming too. So that's how that started. And then eventually I went back and bought my own piano and play the piano to this day as well. Oh my goodness. It comes full circle, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but I think that's also a really good lesson for life, Addison. That's a great line. You know, we're looking at this lockdown right now with frustration and and we don't like it. I hear you. Nobody likes having their freedom taken away. But one of the things I tell older people like me, but I mean, for everybody, really, what are you doing with all your spare time? 
I recommend people take up an instrument, right? How many people have said, oh, I wish I could play the guitar. Go buy one. Oh, I wish I could sing. Sing. I wish I could play the piano. Play the piano. I wish I could. I mean, wishes are always just a step away from action. And I think that's what also was very much a part of my music. It meant the world to me to play music, but not so I could show off with my feet because I'm a musician. Right, right. That's amazing. I love hearing stuff like this because it's just, it's not the everyday trial that somebody might face, but they, but you've just taken it and you've run with it. Have you ever felt sorry for yourself? Like, was there ever a time where you were like, oh, I wish I would have had arms growing up? Sure. And that was, again, a lot of that in adolescence. Uh huh. Some of it when I was in my early 20s, because I saw all my friends getting married and Uh I was still single. And then I got into a relationship that looked all right. But then it turned kind of south. But unfortunately, she got pregnant. So I felt really sorry for myself for about two or three years because I was in a relationship that hadn't even started, but had a oops, produced a child and did the right thing, got married. That little boy is now 35 years old. Right. But Mm -hmm. it was tough. It was tough, especially because his mother and I split up when he was two. Uh, She had a lot of mental health problems, which didn't come out until after the baby. It's a long story. But the fact of the matter is I became a single dad. So I was looking after a three-year-old like all the time. Uh, I felt sorry for myself then. My friends were all out partying and I was taking care of a toddler. So there was those more common things that people feel sorry for themselves, right? That's why I was kind of making a half big comment about teenage pregnancy is there's nothing morally wrong in my heart about it. But the problem is it takes your life in a path that you don't necessarily plan. And young people can be great parents. But the way I got it figured is you need to get your life on track first. When you, then you can start worrying about raising somebody else. Having said that, when I met my wife, Darlene, the feeling sorry for myself went away. Uh, these are cyclical, to use a really expensive word. And that's why I encourage people when they're getting into a downturn, a depression, a sadness, uh, a sympathy thing, please try to get out of it. However you do that is up to you. But what I found was really obvious is every human being feels sorry for themselves. It's a question of understanding. And maybe one more segue. Sorry to keep talking so much here. No, we love it. Okay. But one of the things that honestly, honestly, honestly is the foundation of my personality is gratitude. Okay. I grew up with gratitude because my parents were like that. You know, my parents would remind me. I mean, here's another shocker for people your age. When I was six years old, handicapped children didn't go to public school. We were segregated just like black people. I mean, it's hard to believe, isn't it? We used to (laughs) segregate black people. I mean, that makes sense why Black Lives Matter is so important, not whether you believe it or not, because that's another example of how we treated a a group of people poorly. And, And to be quite blunt, some of those people are having a struggle moving on, but we'll leave that one alone, okay? I think the bottom line with me was, and again, to be really blunt about this, I think at the end of the day, um, my gratitude came from being a student in a public school when nobody ever did that because we happened to have a school across the street and my parents knew the teachers. And they said, sure, we can bring Alvin in. You just didn't do that in those days. So every day my mom would remind me, you're lucky to go to school. And And I wanna say something that sounds like I'm taking a cheap shot at America, but I'm not. America is a known for its belief in rights. And I agree with that. But I also believe we think we are owed too many rights. 
that we forget we have privileges. And unfortunately, the white privilege thing has taken a whole different definition. I really don't like it. But the reality is we need to feel more gratitude because most of us have more than we think. But we don't always think that way. It sounds to me like you're one of those people that just has a knack for finding the good in any situation. You're more of a Dory than a Nemo, it sounds like. <laughs> you got it. Dory all the way, man. Glass is full. I always like to say glass is full, not even half full. <laughs> well, I think that's why we're super grateful to have you here. I think that's one of the things that makes you a really cool person. That's, I, I think that no matter what circumstances you're given, uh, you can definitely tell the people who have gratitude in their hearts, right? Whether they're in the worst situation or the best situation, the people that are grateful are the happy people. You know, you're going to have some people out there that just will never be positive, right? They will never have a good thing to say. I mean, haven't you met people like that? You're on it for 30 seconds. It was 25 seconds too long. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I try to teach those people through my speaking. You know, I've got a book. I mean, I obviously I'd be terrible as a speaker if I didn't uh, flog my book. See, this is Alvin's Laws of Life. Oh, this is my yeah. Selling book, right? I call yeah. it Alvin's Laws of Life because I'm Alvin Law. And it's how I decided that law, that there's, there's a mantra, there's a belief system, there's a, like a mission statement for my life. And that's, again, something that I think people need to recognize. If they want to live miserable, they have that right. But there's way too much to enjoy in this world. That's what I love. And I try everything. I mean, you know, people have often said to me, what can't you do? I'm kind of going, geez, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question, but I don't know. So to me, you're one of those people that also, on top of being grateful for everything, you find a way to overcome any obstacle. So before we ask you another follow-up question that's going to go along with this, I just want to ask you, how would you tell other people that they can overcome their obstacles in their lives? Because people like me have done it. <laughs> no really isn't that true okay so let's go to the let's go to the black lives matter thing all right one of my favorite people uh you know well my age to be quite honest michael jordan i love his story i love his documentary you know about on, on, on the sports of his life but lebron james all right lebron james is the perfect example of somebody who grew up in a difficult circumstance and look where he's at now cynics would say yeah, but LeBron James was blessed with a gift of playing basketball like nobody else. Okay, I'm not going to argue with that. I think we're all born with gifts. But I think the trouble is so many people forget to be the best, you have to practice. To be the best, you have to do it over and over and over again. And we think of that when it comes to sports or music or other skills, but we don't often think about it when it comes to attitude. We need to practice our attitude every single day. So when I was a little boy, people would come up to me and I, I mean, I often say this when the press asks me, how long have you been speaking, Mr. Law? I go, since I was three. What do you mean three? <laughs> three years old? Yeah. You were speaking when you were three years old? Yeah. Not getting paid for it. But my mom would get people coming up and saying, hey, what happened to your little boy? And she'd say, go talk to him. He's not stupid. So I was speaking to people about my condition from the time that I have a memory. So when you start to acknowledge that you're answering people's questions of negativity, while you're answering your own story, you're creating your own appreciation of that story. And, and by the way, my parents were also ultra positive, but I want people to understand we didn't live in a Disneyland home, all right? I had chores. I had to make my bed every day before school. I had to vacuum the carpet with my foot. Like I had to mow the lawn and shovel snow with my chest in Canada. 
I had to take off the garbage in my teeth. I mean, my God, I'd look at my parents and go, do you really love me? Absolutely. Because they understood that love isn't always just letting you get away with everything, but love is challenging you to be better. And that's what I found. So there you go. I mean, that's what a good parent does is they give you those expectations and they love you through them no matter what, but they're going to force you to do it. That's what a good parent does. Cause then you learn, like you said, you can overcome anything through that. Yeah. You know, what's really funny though, Addison, a lot of people have great parents and they don't even realize it Yeah, because their parents are too close to the situation. So uh, a follow-up answer to your question, why read, read stories of people that have achieved things that you think is impossible. If you're a black person, read stories of black success stories like Nelson Mandela. Uh, you don't have to be black. I mean, whatever turns you on as a story, as an inspiration, TED Talks, right? Podcasts like yours. There's so much information out there now. But what scares me is people use the information online to prove negative stories, to prove negative cynicism. They use it as their backup. Yeah, see, 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 that's why I'm unsuccessful. I mean, fine. You know what? We've all got a right to live the way we live. But I just can't imagine living in a world where you're angry all the time, where you're blaming all the time. I could have blamed. It would have been real easy. I could have said, hey, I'm having no arms because of that drug, because my parents gave me away, because I grew up in a foster home. See, we can take that as a negative. But I took it the other way around, because that's what works for me. If I were to take one message so far out of everything that you've said, just, just help me make sure I'm on the right track here, because you've said a lot of great things. It sounds like every single one of them could come back to gratitude and just being, being grateful for everything that we have. Is that true? Absolutely. And, and if you think about it, my life is full of gratitude, not just being able to use my feet, all right? My wife's not here right now. She's out running some errands today. She always likes to leave the house when I'm doing a podcast, just because, right? And, uh, you know, I, I mean, okay, here's a really shallow example. We have a four-year-old rescue dog, okay? He was abused as a puppy. He ran away from confinement in a garage where he was put in, his nose was put in acid all the time. So he's got a damaged nose. He was found starving uh, at a fairground here in Calgary in the middle of winter at 25 below zero. The bylaw officer who picked him up even got bit. They took him into this shelter. We had another big dog and we were looking to get another dog to be his buddy. And we went to the shelter and he looked like the most pathetic thing you've ever seen. He, he was not even willing to be social. He was very scared of my wife. She put her hand out and the, the bylaw or the, the psychologist there said, oh, he's probably hit a lot. I just sat on the ground and, and, and put my foot out and wiggled my toe. And he started looking at my toe and he started coming a little closer and a little closer. And he, he kind of sniffed my toe, gave my toe a lick, turned around three times and laid in my lap and we took him home. Every morning I take him for a walk. The first thing I do, I get out of bed and go for a walk with the dog. His name's Murphy. It is the best way to start your day because not only do you know you saved a life, but there's nothing more loving and, and, and loyal than a dog, right? I'm so blessed to have a dog. So that's gratitude, right? And just to see him be happy. I've got great family, gratitude. I've got a great son, gratitude. I've got great friends, gratitude. I've had a successful career. All these things are, yes, people say, well, of course you're lucky, you're happy, look what you've done. Yeah, but I was, I was happy when I was three years old five years old. Yes, I was very, very blessed to have gratitude become a key component of my life. But I think people can also choose to have gratitude. I think every attitude is a choice, whether it's anger or resentment or joy or happiness or whatever it is that comes in this life, we get to choose it. And that's something that 
like you talked about before, people blame a lot of their attitudes on different things happening in the world or in their own lives. And that's not true. That's, it's a choice and we get to make that choice every day. Like, and I love that you choose gratitude and joy and happiness and you spread it everywhere. Um, Thank and you. I, I feel better already. Like I seriously, <laughs> I can go about life. Awesome now. <laughs> so we're from Utah and you, you know, Clint Pulver and you've mentioned that he's a man of faith. We actually are members of the same faith as him. Oh, good for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, this week, there's been this big initiative in our church to just share gratitude. The upcoming, we have Thanksgiving um, this coming yes. Sunday. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. So yeah, in, in attempts to try and promote gratitude, um, this has been perfect. Everything you've talked about has been right in line. And that's why I think it's kind of hitting home with both of us is because man, we've been thinking about gratitude every day. Every time I open my phone, there's just these posts, every one of them, hashtag give thanks, hashtag give thanks, and on and on and on. And uh, I'm just grateful that that we have a way to portray these messages now, right? We have podcasts, we have social media, and you've been speaking in person for a long time. Uh, but because of people like you, gratitude expressed all across the world now. And uh, really, frankly, like you said, every person has something to be grateful for. Every person is unique. Um, everybody has a really cool story. We may not be as dramatic, like you said, but I do feel like everybody does have something that's really cool about themselves. And because of that, they have something that's really unique to be grateful for. To be honest with you, I think the faith element is huge. My parents were people of faith as well. We didn't study the Bible. We didn't pray at every meal, but we definitely went to church and we definitely praised God. Now, why is that important? It's not about the cliche. It's about the faith. You know, and, 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 I, and I, the reason that I try and explain this without sounding political about it, one of the great experiences of my life, you, you folks, has been traveling the world. So I've been to countries where I've been able to see up close and personal Buddhism or Hinduism or atheism even, right? Or, or you know, the whole idea of what we have to give people an allowance for. The trouble is too often people judge faith believers with judgment, and I, and I know there's some people in faith that are judges, but I think most people are generally really good people. But like you said, Addison, it takes a choice. And if your choice is brought up by your faith, good for you. But Thanksgiving is a really good example because it can be very complicated for people that don't feel thankful. And especially this year, it's going to be really hard because we're going to say, well, I can't get together with my family because of the rules. Right. Why? Because death is real. I mean, COVID death is real and people are in a bit of denial about this, right? So wouldn't it be better to say, take one year off, be strong, you know, not get together so we can have a Thanksgiving next year and have everybody there. That's not melodrama. I have a friend, a colleague, a speaker who lost both of his parents the first month of COVID in April in a nursing home and he couldn't even kiss or hug them goodbye. They died a week apart. So that was real. All right. That actually really affected me. Because I'm a little cynical sometimes too, you guys. Don't get the wrong impression. I don't buy everything the doctor sells, okay? But I also think sometimes we have to be willing to give up control and our rights for the bigger picture. Um, I think we're kind of ready to move on to our last question, which is what good vibes do you have to leave with us here in the hive? Um, I love that. Okay, so I'm going to pull my chair aside. Yes, let's do it. Back to my drum. And you're going to see why when I talk about how much this means to me, I used to sit in my basement with my entire drum kit and I would put, even put on those really bad Christmas floodlights that you put in front of your house. I'd put them in front of my drums and turn off the basement lights 
and put on the stereo and play along to bands in my era, like Led Zeppelin or whatever. <laughs> I love, you know, just rock and roll. And people yes. hear this and they go, wow, you can really play. There you go. Woo! Wow. <laughs> Like, I, don't, I don't think I could move the what are the sticks that fast with my hands, to be honest with well, you. Well, and the core work. You've <laughs> got to have like a six pack or something. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it looks more like a keg, but we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> I think the reality is that my core is very strong. Yeah. Uh, but that's how I learned, right? Everything I do with my feet. And my wife jokes, I don't need to work out because I'm doing 100 crunches a day or even <laughs> yeah. more. Anyway, that's a vibe for you, right? And I, and I love what that leaves with you, what we can leave with that, because what I want people to do is to remember today, but not to remember me because of my ego, but to remember today when they're having a bad day, because we all have bad days, right? When we're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to give up. There's no point. I hear you. Giving up is such an, an easy alternative to struggling through. But, you know, maybe a poetic way to put this, I think we've already addressed it. We only get one life right? Good or bad. So we have to choose how we're going to live it. That's amazing. Thank you so much for those wrapping up thoughts. Uh, you're an inspiration to us all. And you're, you're why we started this. We want people just like you to, to share that. Listen, like you can do anything. There's nothing in this world that you can't accomplish. And you're helping us to verify that message. So thank you. So you're welcome. And as they do with a lot of my friends that do this with their hands, when you do namaste, I do with my feet. Namaste. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving. You bet. Just like that. And I really appreciate you folks. Okay. Thanks for spreading the good news. No, really thank you. Thank we you. appreciate you. Couldn't do without you. Thanks a lot. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to wash those feet. <laughs>